Hello, and welcome to a reading of Gothic Charm School by Jillian Venters. An introduction, or why goths must cultivate better manners than other people, and just who is this lady of the manners chick anyway? The lady of the manners has heard this complaint complaint time and time again from her fellow goths. Why should I put so much effort into being polite to people who aren't going to be considerate to me? The lady of the manor certainly understands the complaint because it can be very disheartening and dispiriting and other dismal sounding words to be as polite towards strangers as possible and have those same strangers respond not in kind but with rudeness, boorish behavior, and even sometimes with threats and violence. Wouldn't it be better if we gloomily romantic and darkly garbed folk all adopted a shield of preemptive scorn and hostility? No. No, it wouldn't be better, because those rude and boorish strangers would take our scorn and hostility as an open invitation to behave in even worse ways toward us than they do now. Because such behavior would feed the suspicion and fear with which many people regard goths, because more parents would regard their fledgling goth children with extra worry and concern. Because even more people would be skeptical about whether goths can be good employees or people to be trusted. Yes, the lady of the manners is well aware that all sorts of people are openly rude and hostile to everyone they meet, and they seem to do just fine. But the lady of the manners really does believe that no matter how well those sorts of people seem to be doing, they probably would do even better if they weren't, well, jerks. Polite kindness isn't weakness no matter what some people think. There's an added benefit to being a goth and having good manners. It's actually more shocking to some people than the boo, I'm so spooky and scary freak show antics they expect from goths. Looking like you've just come from a gathering with a particularly sinister dress code and being gracious and polite messes with some people's heads far more effectively than anything else you might be able to think up. Does this mean that when people yell nice costume or Halloween is over freak at you, you should quash your annoyance and ignore them? Sometimes, yes, you should, but sometimes you could smile widely and, in your friendliest and politest tone, respond with, Oh, I dress this way all the time. What are you in costume as? Or, It isn't Halloween. Oh, I must have forgotten to change the calendar. Or, Oh my God, I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt when I left the house. What happened to me? The lady of the manners has occasionally indulged herself in such responses, not that they made a bit of difference to the cretin who started the confrontation, or cretin. Creighton, you see, snarklings, there are many times when trying to change people's perceptions isn't worth the effort. The best way to make your displeasure clear is to simply ignore them. Offer a quick icy glance and then act as if the rude person doesn't exist. Mind you, if it looks like the situation is going to escalate into an attack, do not ignore the taunts. Instead, get away as quickly as possible and call the police. The lady of the manners does not want anyone to be injured in the name of being polite, and she is sadly aware that some people do react with violence to things they don't like or understand. The lady of the manners isn't asking you to hold hands and have a joyful sing-along with everyone you meet, nor is she asking you to be outgoing and friendly toward every person who ever asks you questions about your gothy tendencies. The lady of the manners is asking that you don't automatically glower, snarl, or retreat behind a wall of sarcastic commentary. That's all. Really, it's a pretty simple idea. So who is this lady of the manners person, and why is she lecturing and haranguing, uh, offering gothy and non-gothy people advice? 
Here, let the lady of the manners dispense with the third-person frivolity and affectation for a few paragraphs and introduce herself. Hi, I'm Jillian. I've been drawn to the gloom-shrouded and spooky side of life for as long as I can remember. Am I claiming to always have been a goth? No, not at all, but I've always been interested in dark, opulent clothing, in otherworldly stories, in the supernatural and terror, and in looking at the world around me in a different way. I just didn't know there was a subculture that embraced and enveloped all those things and more until my early 20s. When I discovered that there were other people like me, that there was a whole movement I could gleefully plunder for more interests, activities, and socializing, I joyfully joined the darkling throng and haven't looked back. Well, perhaps joyfully isn't quite the right word. You see, while I did meet other black-clad eccentrics, eccentrics who accepted me, I also ran into a lot of people who were less than friendly, impolite, you might say. Some were other goths who were seemingly determined to be surely toward everyone while, simul while simultaneously carrying a coffin-sized chip on their shoulders about the non-goth jerks who treated them badly. They somehow felt that they were going to be sneered at or regarded with fear and loathing, and that armoring themselves with a thick coating of sarcasm, resentment, and disdainful looks was the only way to go. Other impolite souls were non-goths who were everything the surely and rude goths feared. They were the ones making sarcastic comments meant to be overheard, jeering at me and my spooky friends. They were the people who drew back from us in fear because they just knew that goths were all creepy freaks who were going to attack them or cast evil spells on them. They were the people who assumed we were going to be rude and unkind to them. All of these assumptions because my friends and I chose to express ourselves through our appearance and to talk openly about the things that interested us. The rudeness and bad behavior on both sides of the shadowy divide bugged me. I was raised to believe that you should treat people the way you want to be treated and that the way a person looks shouldn't matter. In addition to those beliefs, I somehow ended up being one of those people others turned to for advice. Then, one fateful day, an acquaintance who was putting together a goth webzine mentioned that he wanted to include some nonfiction content and asked me if there was anything I might want to contribute. I thought about it and said, ooh, how about a gothy advice column? Good manners for goths. Why you shouldn't dress like the crow, or how if you're going to wear white face, you should make sure you apply it on your damn ears and neck. Stuff like that. My friend thought my idea sounded great, and thus I found myself giving my email address and advice to complete strangers. That was over a decade ago. As the years have passed, I've found myself addressing certain topics over and over, reassuring parents that having a child with gothy tendencies isn't a bad thing, giving advice to other goths about how to deal with parents or co-workers who are unsure about how to act around darkly dressed creatures, how to deal with the slings and arrows that constantly seem to be flung at goths, all while watching the goth subculture creep out from the shadows and attract more attention from the mainstream media and normal folks. And the more prominent and well-recognized goth becomes, the bigger the chances that misunderstandings and just flat-out wrong information will be taken as the absolute gospel truth about our subculture. Which is why I try to be a good example and show goths and non-goths that it is possible to be a black-clad eccentric and a good person. That just because someone is interested in a dark, spooky, and more somber definition of beauty doesn't mean that he or she should be viewed with fear and suspicion. 
It's my hope that this book will be informative and entertaining and that it will help Goths be better understood. And with that, it's time for me to pin my hat back on and slip back into the Lady of the Manor's third-person mannerisms. Won't you please turn the page and join me in this shadowy, mysterious, charming world that I call home? Am I a Goth? A very brief recitation of the history of the Goth subculture. So where does this Goth or Gothic thing come from? While it would be tedious to detail the complete history of Goth, context is always useful. The Goth subculture, as it is known today, began as an offshoot of punk rock that mixed a flair for the theatrical and a fondness of campy horror movies. While every cultural movement or phase has cast its own dark shadows, vampy flappers and sinister rakes, noir femme fatale, black-clad occult types reading tarot cards by candlelight, those shadows never really seem to flow together into a glorious tapestry of velvet-edged darkness in the UK and US until the late 70s and early 80s. Goth draws from such varied sources as architecture, yes, those lovely cathedrals and castles and glorious ruin, with the romantic movement of the late 18th and early 19th centuries, prompting the well-to-do to renovate their homes to imitate medieval castles or abbeys. Gothic novels lurched out of the darkness with The Castle of Otranto by Horace Walpole, The Monk by Matthew Gregory Lewis, the works of Anne Radcliffe, one of the best-selling authors of the late 18th century, and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. The restless spirits they summoned have cast shadows over fiction ever since. Wuthering Heights, Dracula, the works of Edgar Allan Poe, and swarms of romance novels all feature Gothic themes, even if some readers don't immediately recognize them as Gothic. The feelings of gloom, suspense, and dread, the long and skittering fingers of Gothic fiction, allow people to vicariously experience the thrills and chills of the otherworldly and supernatural without fearing for their safety or sanity. Victorian spiritualism and occultism, gathering around a candle-lit table and trying to contact dead loved ones, was all the rage at the best parties of the era, adding another layer to the history of goth, while the Victorians' elaborate mourning clothing and customs have provided goths with not only clothing styles to mimic, but also a host of charmingly eccentric behaviors and mannerisms to adopt. What, you mean not everyone has a collection of handkerchiefs edged in black lace? What's that, you say? You didn't realize that goth had such a long history? Oh yes, goth is not just some flash-in-the-pan teen fad. Why, this current incarnation of the goth subculture has been gliding around elegantly for almost 30 years now, and that's just musically speaking. Television series such as The Addams Family, The Munsters, and Dark Shadows all provided a flickering family tree in black-and-white images and a strong pop culture foundation for the spookily inclined. Even key modern goth touchstones such as Beetlejuice and The Nightmare Before Christmas are over 15 years old. In fact, in the case of The Nightmare Before Christmas, more tie-in merchandise has been manufactured in the past few years than was available when the movie was released in 1993. The Lady of the Manors, while a bit cynically amused at the proliferation of Jack Skellington's face, is quite pleased with her Nightmare Before Christmas decorated bathroom, thank you very much. 
Facts such as these make goths of the lady of the manners' generation feel just a touch culture lagged and often leave us muttering phrases like, back in my day, we had to mail order music from obscure little catalogs. We had to make our own fishnet shirts out of old tights. We had to dye our hair with Kool-Aid. We had to burn sticks to make our own eyeliner. Now anyone can go to the mall and buy a complete off-the-rack goth outfit. You kids get off of my lawn. Oh, fine, we didn't really have to burn sticks to make our own eyeliner. But yes, we did make our own fishnet shirts out of old tights. And if you saw another person clad in all, of, clad in all black with elaborate hair and makeup, you both did the mutual freak nod of recognition. You might not have known this person, but you could assume he or she was probably a spooky type interested in some of the same things that you were. The current dark flowering of goth is generally considered to have started when Bauhaus released Bella Lugosi's Dead in 1979. Yes, Joy Division and C.O.C. and the Banshees had already released albums, and there were all sorts of pale creatures in black lurking around the punk scene, but Peter Murphy crooning about red velvet lining a black box and virginal brides filing past his tomb gave those same creatures something to really focus their attention on. In 1982, the Batcave opened in London, giving the self-styled creatures of the night a place to be and be seen. The Batcave attracted a fair amount of attention from the media, spreading the seeds of the goth subculture across the UK. At the same time, in the US, the death rock scene was clawing its way out of the graveyard with its own horror-laced take on punk. All of these elements grew and mutated, appropriating symbols from Gothic literature, horror movies, Victorian fashions, and anything from any historical era that had earned the label decadent. Nowadays, there are so many different splinter factions crowded under the goth label, as if it were a giant parasol shielding everyone from the harsh and frightening sun, that not only are there inter-subculture squabbles about what is and isn't really part of goth, but there are huge lists and internet quizzes to help people try to figure out what type of goth they might be. Romantic goths, punk goths, mopey goths, perky goths, all of these and more are labels the Lady of the Manners has seen tossed around, along with less flattering terms such as malgoth or spooky kid, usually aimed at the youngsters who inadvertently help encourage that goth is just a teen phase misconception. That goth is just a teen phase misconception. Some signs and symptoms of having a gothy mindset. When someone says goth, Certain images or interests come to mind, and not in any way complete list of them and no particular order. 1. Black clothing, of course, perhaps with a vaguely Victorian or otherwise antique air to it. 2. A somewhat dramatic use of cosmetics with dark eyeliner and lipstick, and sometimes a preference for enhancing any sort of pallor one may have. 3. Hair an unnatural shade of black, white, pre-Raphael pre-Raphaelite red, or a color not found in the natural range of hair colors. 4. Skulls, bats, spiderwebs, gargoyles, and coffins appearing as a recurring motif in clothing, jewelry, home decor items, or just about anything, really. 5. Absinthe because of its associations with artistic inspiration and decadence. 6. An interest in all or many things morbid and darkly fantastic. 7. An overwhelming fondness for all things relating to Halloween, perhaps including a firm belief that jack-o'-lanterns are a perfectly valid decoration year-round. 8. A fondness for reading, especially works concerned with vampires, witches, monsters, folklore, the occult, or just the horror genre overall. 
9. Striped stockings and tights. 10. Top hats and long black veils, black trench coats, opera coats, and velvet coats. 11. Music in a minor key, music that conjures strong emotions and music that evokes longing and loss. 12. Ghost stories and haunted houses. 13. The films of Tim Burton. 14. Poetry of a gloomy nature. 15. Stormy nights, flickering castles, and photos taken in graveyards. 16. Corsets, bustles, and cravats with darkly bejeweled stick pins. 16. Lace gloves, velvet chokers, silver-headed walking sticks, and poison rings. 17. Dark velvet and torn black lace. 18. Old horror movies and flickering black and white. Excuse me if I may have skipped a number or messed up. <laughs> but uh, they're not numbered on the page, so it's easy to blank. Are all goths interested in every last one of those things? Good heavens, no. But those are some of the recurring markers of a gothy mindset, signs that you may be more spookily inclined than you might have realized. The sharp-eyed among you will note that feeling depressed, cutting oneself, or hurting others are nowhere on that list. All of those phrases reflect common misconceptions about what goths are like, and all of them are wrong. Goths, by their very nature, are more willing to acknowledge feelings of sadness than other people, but that doesn't mean that you have to be sad all the time or hurt yourself to be considered a goth. So, what if you have suddenly realized that you have gothy tendencies? Does this mean you should rush out, buy an anthology of the works of Edgar Allan Poe and the collected episodes of The Addams Family and start amassing an all-black wardrobe? Well, only if you really want to. If those are things that you wanted to do before reading this book, then by all means, go forth and do them. But don't feel that you have to. Having interests in common with a particular subculture doesn't mean that you have to declare yourself a part of it. There's no secret goth cabal that monitors who purchases black eyeliner and vampire novels and sends them the secret membership application once they have accumulated enough goth points, which leads us neatly to the very next section. The difference between being a goth, a not a goth, and not being a goth yourself, but being goth friendly. Wait, the difference between being a goth and a not a goth? You may be wondering what on earth a not a goth is. You see, there are people who are extremely goth, people who are perfect examples of spookiness or are legendary icons in our dark and gloomy subculture who want nothing to do with the label of goth. People who, if asked about it, will say they don't consider themselves goths and don't want to be labeled as such. Sometimes they will say this quite vehemently. They are not a goths. However, not a goth is something of a long-standing inside joke in the goth subculture. Time and time again, it seems that the people who are very obviously goth are the ones who proclaim they are not goth at all, the loudest, which has led the rest of the goth community to nod wisely and say, oh yes, that is the true and final stage of being a goth. You become so goth, you are not a goth. Examples of this phenomena include some of the top icons of the gothic music genre, such as C.O.C. C.O., Peter Murphy of Bauhaus, Robert Smith of The Cure, and Andrew Eldridge of The Sisters of Mercy. If you haven't heard of those bands but are interested in the goth subculture, do yourself a favor and give them a listen. Andrew Eldridge rather infamously booted a supporting act off of a tour because he felt they were too goth. So what should you do when presented with these not-a-goth types? Should you argue with them? Point out all the ways in which they are extremely gothic? No. Just smile, nod, and let them be. 
In some cases, people proclaim they are not part of something because they feel they've moved beyond such labels. Maybe they once were goth, and maybe they still have interests that would define them as part of the subculture, but they don't feel that those interests are the most prominent parts of who they are now. This is also sometimes known as the, oh yes, I used to be a goth, but I've moved beyond it argument, and is frequently spouted by people who, for whatever reason, have bought into the notion that goth is a phase, something to grow out of. There will be more on that notion later. Some not-a-goths don't feel they are goths no matter what anyone else thinks. In their minds, they may have a lot in common with goths, but not enough to earn that label for themselves. The lady of the manners' dear husband is one of those sorts of creatures. He says that even though he has a dark and acerbic sense of humor, and even though he prefers a wardrobe of somber shades, and even though his artwork tends to feature monstrous creatures, he is not a big enough fan of the music, of vampire novels, of fancy clothing to be called a goth. No matter how much of a spooky and, bri and beribboned dark cupcake his wife is, to which, again, the lady of the manners just smiles and lets him be. If people don't want to consider themselves goths, there's nothing wrong with that. If we want it to be okay to embrace the goth label, we have to extend the same kindness to those who would reject it. Trying to categorize other people as a harmless diversion that almost everyone indulges in. Just make sure you treat others with the same courtesy and respect you want them to grant to you. So, what if you don't consider yourself a goth, and other people haven't tried to call you a goth, but you do share some interests and seem to have a fair number of friends who are goths? Why, yes, you would be considered goth-friendly, and oh goodness, does the goth community need more people who are goth-friendly. In the very best cases, people who are goth-friendly are the ones who look completely normal, whatever that really means, but will speak up in defense when other, more closed-minded people make disparaging comments about one of the spooky and black-clad. Someone who will gently try to point out that no, goths aren't a danger to themselves or others, and they aren't all depressed or creepy. People who, if pressed, will talk about the interests they share with those weird goth types. Does this mean that goth-friendly equals being some sort of activist for the equal treatment for the spooky and black-clad? No. Though the lady of the manners isn't going to stop you if you, want, if you do want to take that up as a cause. What it means is that the goth-friendly are people who treat goths just as they treat everyone else. Yes, the Lady of the Manners does come back to that core point rather a lot, but it is a good point. Some people who consider themselves to be goth-friendly are that way because they used to be more active in the goth world, but for whatever reason, they've drifted away from the subculture. They still like certain aspects of it, and a Bauhaus or Dead Camp dance reunion tour will almost certainly drag them out of wherever they've been hiding, but the goth subculture isn't as big a part of their lives as it might have been at one point. For them, the time they spent closely identifying with goth really was a phase. A phase they think of with, a, with affection, but nevertheless consider a phase. But just because they've moved on doesn't mean they think disdainfully of those who still identify with that world of gloom and black velvet. After all, they probably still have a lot of friends who self-identify as goth. Sure, there will probably be some good-natured teasing back and forth between the goths and the lapsed goths, but hopefully it's based on the mutual understanding of each other's quirks and interests. Something that goths with non-goth friends absolutely must keep in mind is that they should try not to convert them. Oh yes, the Lady of the Manners understands all too well the urge to do a complete makeover on a normal on the outside friend, to treat him as your very own dress-up doll, take him out and flaunt your handiwork. But if your friend says he'd rather not be your before and after project, respect that.
Friendship isn't about setting out to change a person into someone completely different just because you want him to be a better match or an accessory for you. Yes, over time, your friend will possibly come to share more interests with you, if sometimes in a tangential way, but that works both ways. Your friend's interests will also rub off on you, giving all of you even more things to stay up giving all of you even more things to stay up all night talking about. Choosing your friends solely based on how goth you think they are or how much time they spend playing the same video games as you, how big a sports fan, how attractive they are, and so on is more than a touch shallow. Friends should make you laugh, make you think, and bring new ideas and experiences to your life, not be some sort of collection of clones of you. If that's what you want, it would probably be, probably be easier to just stay home and talk to your mirror. The lady of the manor thinks that would get rather boring very quickly, but if that's what you really want, she's not going to stop you. Shake her head rather sadly, yes, but stop you, no. The age gap, also known as am I too old for this? Remember a few pages ago when the lady of the manors mentioned how goth is frequently viewed as a teenage phase? As if goth were something that only interested youngins flailing and searching around for who they are and what it all means? That an interest in all things dark and macabre, that refusing to act as if the world is at all times a happy and shiny place, are childish passions only to be indulged for a short time until one quote-unquote grows up and takes one's place in a gray and dreary world devoid of magic, dark sparkle, and whimsy? To say that the lady of the manners disagrees with that line of thinking is putting things very mildly. Oh, the lady of the manners does understand where the idea comes from. Make no mistake about that. The people who are frequently most visible in their dark plumage and finery tend to be those who don't have to worry about making a quote-unquote good impression on a potential employer. Adults who should know better often still fear that they must hide who they truly are and blend in with the other denizens of the everyday world to make a living, and those of us who make no attempt to blend in are frequently assumed to be younger than we are. A few years ago, a newish co-worker of the Lady of the Manors struck up a conversation with her about her appearance. Eyeing her black frilled skirts, black velvet jacket, stripy tights, and top hat, the co-worker asked, So is this a goth thing? When the Lady of the Manors cheerfully acknowledged this, the co-worker went on to say, Oh, well, you're probably too young to know about this, but goth actually got started back in the 80s when I was a teen. At this point, the Lady of the Manors gently interrupted him and asked how old he thought he was. He thought she was. The nice co-worker had assumed that the Lady of the Manors was a good decade younger than she really was. While the Lady of the Manors takes no small amount of glee in the fact that slathering on sunblock and avoiding daylight whenever possible does help preserve a youthful appearance, the truth of the matter is that her co-worker had fallen into the trap of assuming that no one over the age of 25 could possibly be a goth. So why do people think there's a use-by date on being, on being a goth? Perhaps because people think goths are either moody teenagers in black or mid-twenties clubgoers in glossy vinyl outfits, and that being a goth is something you grow out of, not into. Which, if you stop to think about it, is preposterous. There are those who didn't come to the goth culture goth subculture in their teenage years, people who have slowly developed a fondness for the dark, gloomy beauty and whimsy that the world has to offer, who possibly weren't aware that there was a whole subculture and philosophy they could call home. Because of the stereotypical view that goth is only for those in their teens and early twenties, these people worry that they shouldn't explore this world of dark enchantments. 
enchantments that at most they can dabble in it every year at Halloween or when the fashion industry decrees that inky-hued velvet and black nail polish are in style for a season. The lady of the manners feels particularly wistful about these adults who think they can't express themselves the way they want to and encourages them to consider goth something more than a mere costume they can put on once a year. However, the lady of the manners will admit there are some pitfalls awaiting quote-unquote old people exploring the goth subculture for the first time, things they should be wary of if they don't want to look like they're trying too hard. Warning the first, age-appropriate looks, please. Don't draw all over your face with eyeliner and don't feel you must wear head-to-toe I'm the queen of the night spooky vampire clothes that would make you into a walking billboard for certain mall stores or that look like they originally came from a plastic bag costume kit. Being a goth of a certain age means that you probably know the difference between what is an appropriate outfit for a nightclub and what is an appropriate outfit for work. Warning the second, just because you've decided you're a goth does not mean you must act depressed, languid, or mysterious all the time. This is a mindset that uh, younger goths fall prey to sometimes. Being older should mean you're a bit wiser about this sort of thing. Goth is a subculture and for me, or for some, a way of life, not an emotional template. Warning the third, do some research. A certain amount of quote-unquote I wear black because it mirrors my tormented soul and quote-unquote the world is a bleak place, I've written a poem about it. I've written a poem about it. These song lyrics express my deep emotions, posturing and drama is to be expected from younglings and teens who are floundering about trying to determine who they are. But as an adult taking part in the goth subculture, you should be a bit more aware of what has drawn you to it. Is it an interest in the occult and gothic and romantic literature? A fondness for dark-colored and antique clothing? If you are able to articulate why you have decided to explore this dark side, even if just to yourself, you won't feel quite as taken aback when someone your own age blurts out, Oh, I had a goth face too. I grew out of it. Warning the fourth, do not become a goth just to meet sexy death chicks and brooding boys. Don't take this as an affront, but the lady of the manners has seen far too many people, of all age groups to be fair, decide they want to be goth so they can meet attractive people dressed in black. If this is your whole reason for joining the goth subculture, perhaps you should rethink things. Also, while there is absolutely nothing wrong with dating someone younger than you, particularly if all of your romances are with people much younger than you, be prepared for gossip and possibly unkind comments. The joy of growing older is that one becomes more comfortable with oneself, which means not needing to prove how goth you are by how many goth stereotypes you live up to. There's nothing wrong with not wearing all black 24-7 or deciding that getting enough sleep so you can go to work the next morning is more important than staying out all night at the club. It doesn't make you less of a goth, it makes you your own person. With age comes wisdom, that's the theory anyway. With age also comes the probability that a person will be more settled in life and able to devote more time, energy, and money to hobbies. While the general public associates goth with depressed teenagers, many goths are in their late 20s to 30s or even older and have decent enough jobs that they sometimes have the spare funds to splurge on really extravagant goth toys or clothes. Also, elder goths are generally smart enough to realize that appearing on sensationalist TV shows will not do them or the subculture any favors. 
They hopefully know the difference between something cool and something that is strictly a marketing gimmick aimed at weird people in black. But the best part of being older and being a goth? Well-meaning people eventually stop telling you that it's a phase you'll grow out of. Unless, of course, you've been dressing that way for years and years anyway, and it's become a personal trademark of yours. Oh, this is um, where she starred something. Um, the lady of the manor's daily wardrobe includes petticoats and a top hat, so she's not going to tell you that you can't wear such things. Just make sure you're wearing the outfit as opposed to it wearing you. Do you have to be spooky every day? On the list of strange assumptions that people have about goths, there is the belief that goths are spooky creatures of darkness all the time, that we sleep in coffins, that we don't do anything unless there's a gothy aspect to it, and that we always, always wear black, and a face full of makeup. The Lady of the Manors is sure that goths reading this have encountered people who make this assumption. Co-workers or classmates who express astonishment if you wear something other than inky hues. Wow, you're not wearing all black, they'll exclaim, as if you hadn't picked out your own clothes. Many of the Lady of the Manors' friends are fond of replying to such comments in their best startled tone. I'm not? Damn it, this was a black shirt when I left the house? Or some other slightly sarcastic response that should cause the commenter to realize the observation was perhaps just a smidge on the obvious side. While it may come as a surprise to some readers, the Lady of the Manor supports gently sarcastic responses to clueless and obvious statements made by non-Goths. The Lady of the Manors doesn't want you to call people idiots, but there's nothing wrong with carefully pointing out that perhaps someone's brain wasn't entirely engaged when she opened her mouth. However, after you point out in a mildly sarcastic manner that the comment was kind of silly, you might hear, but I thought Goths wore black all the time. Be willing to explain that this isn't actually a requirement, and that the secret goth cabal won't banish you for wearing other colors. There isn't really a secret goth cabal, you knew that, yes? But it's a long-standing joke along with goth points and getting your goth card stamped each time you do something particularly gothy. Take as an example one of the Lady of the Manors' recent quiet nights at home. She sat around with black hair dye on her head, reading a vampire novel and listening to the stories of Mercy. This earned her many, many non-existent goth points. The Lady of the Manors isn't really sure why people expect goths to be very goth all the time. After all, no one expects sports fans to be all about the sport of their choice for every minute of their lives, do they? People aren't surprised when knitting enthusiasts wear something other than hand-knitted creations, but something about the idea that goths don't spend all their free time writing morose poetry and lurking about in cemeteries seems to escape a lot of people. Of course, it doesn't help matters... It doesn't help matters that there are those in our spooky little subculture who, how can the lady of the manners phrase this, who believe the hype, who believe that you must be hardcore ooky spooky goth all the time. There is a difference between someone who believes that every day is Halloween and someone who thinks that washing off the eyeliner and watching cartoons while wearing PJs means you're not a real goth. This latter type of person tends to pick hobbies and interests based on whether they increase the darkling creature of the night persona, as opposed to whether the hobbies are interesting. These same sorts are usually the ones making lofty pronouncements to their friends like, you can't be a real goth if you like that. And yes, you can hear the capital letters in real goth very well when this sort of person says it. 
You can't be a real goth if, oh please, what rubbish, there is no activity, interest, or item of clothing that will get one summarily thrown out of the world of goth. Really. No, not even liking country music. Because please, if Johnny Cash wasn't a forefather of goth, then no one was, and we should all just give up any notion of this subculture right now. The lady of the manors knows of DJs at goth clubs who delight in playing non-goth music in the middle of their sets and watching the dance floor fill up. Those same DJs will cackle delightedly at the gothers and now types who promptly throw temper tantrums when non-goth when non-goth music starts blaring out because it seems to be a law of nature that the person thrown into a tizzy by hearing sexy back is likeliest to request a song by a band the DJ played not 15 minutes before. You can't be a real goth if, what, if you spend your weekends hiking and camping, if you are a devout and obviously open-minded Christian, if you're in the military, if you don't spend every waking moment in velvet and frills, if you love going to Disneyland, if you don't like the movies of Tim Burton, if horror novels scare you, if you don't feel the need to paint your bedroom black or blood red. You see, there's no way to complete the you can't be a real goth if statement without it sounding ridiculous. Yes, for many people, goth is a core part of who they are, but it isn't the only thing they are. While their dark and spooky mindset and tastes probably add a shadowy tinge to just about everything they do, they don't only do things that are on some sort of pre-approved goth activity list. Another thing that doesn't really exist, much like the secret goth cabal. The people who tend to spout off the real goth nonsense or who believe you must be spooktacular all the time are generally very insecure. They're worried that someone somewhere is judging them, finding them lacking, and that it's only a matter of time before a member of the non-existent secret goth cabal swoops down and exposes them for the gothy fraud they are. It seems that the only way these sorts of people can make themselves feel better is to pose as all-knowing members of that non-existent secret goth cabal and pass disapproving judgment on others.